Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose Podcast. Make sure and hit the subscribe button. Make sure and recommend us to friends. And make sure and give us a five-star rating. You can do that on whatever platform you choose. Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. We're there. We're hosted by our friends at justthenews.com. And we are also broadcast on the weekends right here on Sirius XM the Patriot Channel 125. Gary, it's been a couple of days since we've spoken. There have been all kinds of developments related to Jews, Joe Biden, the state of Israel, and Johnny Bench. Now, this is what drives me absolutely insane, and I think you'll agree with me. There, have been, there has been a dramatic and dangerous anti-Israel turn in the Democrat Party. Joe Biden snubs Netanyahu even as he invites him to the White House, he claims he's pro-Israel. Does anyone believe that? He's been a harsh critic for 50 years. He kowtows to all of Israel's enemies in direct proportion to their animus to Israel. Kowtows to Cuba, to Turkey, to China. And who does he kowtow most to? Iran, Israel's worst and most dangerous enemies. He tries to dictate to Israelis how they should constitute their judicial system, he tries to influence Israeli elections so that the Democratic Parliament there only selects people he likes. He trashes our Supreme Court as he demands that Israelis stop efforts to improve theirs. He wants Israel to be pushed back to its 1967 borders by coercion, if possible. Suicide borders. The 19, yeah, the Auschwitz borders, while actively helping Iran become a nuclear weapon state, yet all we're hearing in the media is RFKJ and Johnny Bench. Nothing about Biden, nothing about Pramila J. Paul, the Democrat Party, Omar. They've announced they're boycotting Israeli President Isaac Herzog's speech to Congress tomorrow. By the way, former leader of the Labor Party, a good friend of mine, by the way, has been for 25 years, a left-wing guy. They're boycotting him. J. Paul calls Israel a racist state. Then when she's pushed to backtrack from that comment what does she say that constitutes an apology in the eyes of the mainstream media <laughs> she says that the idea the concept of israel is not racist but the reality of israel is racist man i tell you that is a degree of sophistication uh, rarely seen among anti-semites uh uh yeah tom it's you know it's it's really amazing but there's a lot of amazing things here I mean, certainly, and you and I talk about this all the time, certainly the American Jewish community uh, can see that this is clearly anti-Semitism, that this administration and, and, and raw anti-Israel policies the administration is following. 
but the American Jewish community, by and large, is so liberal. And in many ways, they share some of the criticisms of the Biden administration of the modern-day homeland of the Jewish people. So I, I think they feel like they can get a, that the Biden administration feels like they can get away with it with the American Jewish community. So the rest of the American population is still, uh, broadly speaking, pro-Israel. But but Biden says pro-Israel things. Other people in the administration say pro-Israel things, but then they follow a foreign policy, as you just outlined, that clearly means to harm Israel. But it but to, to get that, to understand that, requires another level of understanding by the average American who is unlikely to delve into that kind of a depth on foreign policy issues. Uh, and so it, it's a you know you got to you got to tip the hat to them. They they really are institutionalizing an anti-Israel policy. They tolerate within their own ranks uh, the kind of broad. Uh, horrid anti-Semitism that, you know, one would have thought was long dead in our society. Uh, There's virtually no move in the Democrat Party to do anything to isolate these people. And it's not just because there's this group of, of members of Congress. It's that other key areas of the Democrat Party constituency are all in on Jew hatred and being anti-Israel. Academe, for example, um, hates America, so it certainly hates Israel. Um, it, it sadly, breaks my heart, significant segments of the black community uh, has bought into some pretty uh, you know, disgusting and disturbing types of, uh, of anti-Semitism. All five members of the uh Democrat progressive caucus or whatever they call themselves are boycotting this speech by Israel's left wing president. Now, the president of Israel is a the the position is ceremonial. He's the head of state, not the head of government. But Elon Omar tweets, quote, there's no way in hell she's going. Now, her squad mates uh, uh, who are all despicable. Ocasio-Cortez, who's an anti-Semite. Tlaib is an anti-Semite. Cori Bush is just a, 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 an idiot. And Jamal Brown. <clears throat> Democrats can say all they want about how they're fighting this, pretending it's not happening, but they can't really put the genie back in the bottle. In 2013, Democrats, uh, this was a, a Gallup poll, Democrats said they sympathized with Israel 55% of the time to 19%. That's 10 years ago. When the question was asked in 2022 last year, 49% said they were pro-Palestinian, just 30% saying they're pro-Israel. That's a decline of 47 points in a decade. Now, we can talk all we want about RFKJ's comments citing some scientific study that said uh, COVID was was programmed or created to immunize Jews and Chinese. All I can say to that is we're not very good at it. I've had COVID four times, so so much for uh, the impact of, of, of Jews creating. Well, he didn't say Jews creating COVID. Actually, that was totally, I thought, first of all, it was dumb to say, but it was not anti-Semitic. It was just he was citing an academic study that I don't know whether it's been debunked or not debunked, but 
even any kind of a mention. And then the left almost genuflectively attacks him. And then, of course, there was a big brouhaha over the great Johnny Bench. Because it's not the Congressional Progressive Caucus that's the great threat. It's Johnny Bench, who... You know, Tom, you met, you referenced that. And I remember seeing something about Johnny it was Bench. It so stupid. I didn't have any idea what it was it about. Was so, so what dumb. did he do? I don't know. At a... At a uh, let me shut this window. As I got a buzzsaw going up the window. The... Um, I don't know. There was some <clears throat> Hall of Fame uh, event at Great America. I think it was on Sunday. Uh, he was there. A bunch of the the greats from 75, 76 were there, and they were signing baseball cards. And somebody said, uh, how much do you want for it? And someone else said, I'll give you $300. And John, all Johnny said was, what, are you Jewish? I mean, that's all it was. That's all it was. And it's Sports Center. It's ESPN. Um, it's almost as though they are looking, and it was, by the way, I'm not defending, it was a stupid comment, right? But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not defending yeah. it, but but it's as I though... Mean, you shouldn't take anything less than $400. I mean, really. <laughs> That was Gary Bauer. Um, uh, it, it, it's as though they actually have to look, they have to send their snoops out looking for things like that, that they can throw in our face to blind us to the real anti-Semitism that's coming from Democrats in Congress and even the White House. The president, of course, the Biden administration, now actively engaged in changing the definition of anti-Semitism to excuse boycott movements, delegitimization of the state of Israel, things that um, I would say that the... the Uh, The civilized world has spent 30 years attempting to codify, to prevent lunatics at the United Nations. And the, the, well, there's a Freudian slip for you, the Obama administration, the the Biden, I did it a second time, the Biden administration actively now seeking to redefine that definition. And we're talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Johnny Bench. It's as though they're doing this on purpose. Yeah, you know, Tom, I was on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom uh, because the Trump-Pence administration nominated how, how did me. You, how did you get that job? I'm just curious. Uh, I, I think it had something to do with the vice president's office recommending me to the president. You don't remember, who, it, that, you don't remember who that was by any chance, who got through all, who helped you get through all the, the blitter, the, the absolutely uh, blithering well, objections. Since you're obsessed... Since you're obsessing on this, I assume you must have had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the, 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 that was a big thing at the commission, that we, um, we embraced the international definition, which had been developed over the years, of how, how do you define anti-Semitism. You know, it's not enough like uh, what uh, the one Supreme Court justice said, when asked how do you define poverty or pornography, and he said, you, you, you know, I can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Uh, well, this requires a, a little bit more, you know, you can't be that glib about anti-Semitism, like, because there's a lot of stuff said and done that's anti-Semitic that people then go, what are you talking about? That wasn't anti-Semitic or whatever. I, uh, you know, I, I am always laughing, Tom, that, that, this is a good thing to juxtaposition against these other examples you're giving. There are powerful forces in the country, including the Anti-Defamation League, who, if one criticizes George Soros, right. is they accuse you of being an anti-Semite. Well, well, why? Because he's a Jew. I mean, I, I 
I had a Jewish staff member on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom who uh, wanted to put in the report on one or other Eastern European country as evidence that they were anti-Semitic, the fact that the leader of the country was a critic of George Soros. Yeah, Victor Orban, Hungary, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is, it's, it's the weaponization of everything, right? And it's the weaponization of anti-Semitism. I will say, what a, what a stroke of fortune that this stuff is happening in Washington, D.C. right now uh, with the congresswoman. There's going to be uh, a vote that uh, by time our loyal listener base hears this, the vote probably will have already taken place. Uh, to condemn anti-Semitism in the House of Representatives, although, but not condemn her. I know, I know, I know. I, know. That, that, I was going to, I don't know if you're looking at my notes or not. Um, you can hear me clear my throat when I turn my mic off, but apparently you, you've also got access to my notes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, this, that's what I don't get. The uh, resolution says that Israel is not a racist state um, and that, Attempts to boycott or delegitimize the state of Israel uh, are, according to the international definition, that's anti-Semitism. But it doesn't mention her name, doesn't seek to condemn her. Why not? I don't get that. Well, here's, uh, you know, the fact that you just fleshed out what the resolution says. I was angry this morning when I heard that it doesn't single her out by name. But here's what I think McCarthy's thinking, and this is probably smart. Once they single her out by name, they'll all the Democrats. The yeah, well, and, and they'll say, you know, I, I agree with the thrust of the resolution, but you only singled out this one Democrat woman, Congresswoman. What about? And then they'll mention some people in the Republican Party. So by making it only on these very clear things, making everybody in the House vote, Israel is not a racist country. That is going to be a hard vote for about 60 Democrats. But what, and, but what do they know, care? What do they care? I mean, Ocasio-Cortez, she's already says she's boycotting the vote. There'll be no consequence for her. It's not like APAC will uh, seek to censure her or punish her. There'll be no consequence. Well, but there'll be a, there'll be a series of people that vote that will have to vote yes on the resolution uh, who will then irritate the left-wing activist base they rely on in their more marginal congressional districts. Right. I mean, sadly, the Democrat Party, Tom, as, as you're saying, and, and think about this, right, that in the most secure, um, overwhelmingly Democrat congressional districts in America— Hating Israel is a plus. Right. Apple pie. It, it resonates with the electorate. So that's that you, know, you can't say that about any, in my view, any solid Republican congressional district in America. A, a, a member of Congress that was con a Republican member of Congress that was constantly attacking Israel, saying anti-Semitic things in a very strong red district would find themselves in trouble. Right. I mean, you alluded to that if we 
signal out or single out rather Jay Paul or whatever her name is, that the Democrats would then demand <clears throat> the flesh of one of ours. But I ask you, what Republican member of Congress, can you name one that's overtly anti-Israel? I, I can't think of a single one. Now, people say Marjorie Taylor Greene. She says loony stuff, but she's pro-Israel. I don't know how I don't know how you can call someone who is staunchly pro-Israel anti-Semitic, even if they she makes stupid comments about space lasers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that that's that's a good point. I I was getting ready to say it's a stroke of uh, good fortune or the blessings of God that while all this is happening in Washington, this particular latest blow up that Christians United for Israel are in town. And they will be uh, they will have a day on Capitol Hill uh, in which every congressional office, virtually every congressional office will be visited. I know that they're going to be up there talking about uh, multiple legislative matters related to the appeasement of Iran. But I can guarantee you that they will also throw into that. They will also throw into that. Uh, a you know bringing up in these congressional offices what their position is on this resolution. Well, that's that's terrific. I just would encourage them, advise them, counsel them as they enter the halls of Congress uh, not to leave any any cocaine lying around, uh, because the Secret Service has acquitted itself magnificently. It investigated for four days, came up empty about the uh, eight ball of coke that was found in the White House next to the Situation Room in what they mistakenly call the cloakroom. Um, <laughs> I, I understand why the Secret Service came up empty-handed. I mean, they're, they're, they're stretched uh, between monitoring parents who attend school board meetings, between monitoring Catholics who uh, pray in, in Catholic churches, between um, uh, going after pro-life activists. They're stretched for manpower, but here's the thing. They say there's no, there was no forensic evidence, and we're proud of the Secret Service. They find DNA evidence of this uh, Gilgo Beach murderer nine years later, right? But they can't find the person who brought cocaine into the West Wing, which people may not know is a tiny office space. People think, I thought before I went to work at the White House, that it must be big. It's tiny. It's a tiny little area. Those, those offices are highly prized for exactly that reason. I, I, I look, I remember that uh, I, I had when I, I began in the Reagan administration, when I began in the Reagan administration, I had a, um, an office in, in what was then routinely called the old executive office building. And I desperately wanted to work in the White House. And I kept trying to distinguish myself in a way that, that I could cross those, you know, 30 yards between the two buildings. I mean, it's just a little walk. I just wanted to get over there. Well, then I, I get called to White House personnel and I'm, I'm told that the president wants to uh, nominate me to be deputy undersecretary of education in charge of budget and planning. And and I thought, well, that means I got to leave the old executive <laughs> office building and go into this bureaucracy. And so I called Ed Meese and I said, Ed, I probably said, Mr. Meese, I, I, I just want to work in the West Wing of the White House. And he kind of chuckled. And I said, what? And he goes, Gary, the chances of you working in the West Wing of the White House is probably pretty close to zero. 
the only way it's going to happen is if you leave your office at the old executive office building, go into the heart of darkness in one of these bureaucracies, and I can't think of a better one than the Department of Education, and distinguish yourself as being a Reaganaut. That's it. The guy that the department that wants Reagan to be Reagan. And he said, then and only then, my friend, you will have a chance to come back in the West Wing. And that is exactly what happened, Tom. I'm, I'm surprised, actually, that the press even picked up the Coke story in the White House because they never touched Donald Trump for his use of Coke. He was a massive Coke user. Of course, that would be Diet Coke. Um, and <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> no, I mean, did you, did you, you were in there many, did you ever see the president without a Diet Coke in his hand? Uh, no, uh, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, clearly they work because we all notice how svelte he is. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what's in those Diet Cokes, but he might want to try orange juice or something else. But, uh, no, I, I just, um, this is, does it break through? This Coke business and the Secret Service calling off the investigation when they not only do they know now who did it, but they knew instantly who it was. Right. I mean, it it's a limited number of people. There was no attempt to obtain forensic evidence. The White House, they changed their story 37 times from Sunday. The White House press secretary, the incompetent, whatever her name is, uh, Marcel Marceau. Uh, Julianne, uh, basically lies and says that the no member of the Biden family was at the White House when this was discovered, which wasn't true. They were all there. Um, the media picks it up, immediately accepts the narrative that they'll never find out who it was, and it's business as usual. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom, this is really interesting. The, the, um, you, you decided it. So um, the the... The cocaine was found, as I recall, on a Sunday night, or at least that's when the story broke. Uh, so a reporter says to the press secretary, are you confident that no one in the Biden family uh, is responsible for this cocaine? And that's when she says the Biden family uh, were not here on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Well, they didn't leave on Friday until late in the day. But here's what I'm getting at, Tom. When the Secret Service said that they can't figure out who did it, one of the things they cited as the reason it's virtually impossible was that between uh, July 1 and when the cocaine was discovered, over 500 people had gone through that door. So in other words, they were suggesting the cocaine might have been in box number 50 for several weeks, during which the entire Biden family's at the White House. And And no enterprising reporter that I've seen has put those two things together. If that's even... See, I'm at the stage where I've made you look like a Pollyanna. I'm so cynical. I don't believe anything they say. They say it was found in the... In the entry room on the lower level, you walk in. We've talked about this. You walk in. If you're a visitor or if you're a staffer, we were not as staffers. You know, our personal cell phones, uh, we had to put in those little lock boxes. Um, and there are two keys. 
there's a key that Secret Service manages, a master key, and a key that the visitor or the staff person uses to put their personal effects. So they have to know who it was because the key that was would have been used to open it and collect it and give it to Hunter or whoever else, they they know who signed they know who signed into that box. Yeah. And I haven't no, heard anybody talk about that. It's it's all, the whole presentation of it has been one deception after another. You you know, calling it a cloakroom. It is not a cloakroom. <laughs> it is the entry foyer into the West Wing of the White House. It is the area between two doors, the outside door and then the first inside door. They're very close to each other. I mean, only a few people can hang in there for a little while while they're putting their phones in these uh, little lock boxes, more like a safety deposit that, box that's than, right. a, that, that's than a cubby hole. Correct. You know, correct. And they're yeah. wiping their shoes off or or shaking their umbrellas. But yeah. you know, I'm surprised. And, and we had this remarkable ruling a couple of weeks ago that we touched upon, but didn't really discuss at great length by. U.S. District Judge uh, Terry uh, Doherty in uh, New Orleans last week regarding government censorship. This was an amazing decision by him. Unfortunately, on Friday, the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay against his injunction. Of course, this judge who's now being uh, it was it was a, a, a brilliant decision that he wrote talking about how uh, dangerous it was, the government's egregious violations of the First Amendment, the most outrageous abuses of government censorship in history. It's a remarkable read. Um, his decision was incredible. He went through lock, stock, and barrel how the government had used all of its coercive powers to silence the opposition, opposition to COVID-19 vaccines, opposition to masking lockdowns for the the pandemic, opposition to the lab leak theory, opposition to the validity of the 2020 election, opposition to any of uh, President Biden's more controversial policies, opposition to reporting the Hunter Biden laptop story, opposition, he just goes through it, opposition to policies of government officials that empower, that, that suppressed, and he then goes on to point out directly that in each case of government abuse and government censorship and suppression of free speech, the views being suppressed were conservative. Is there a better or worse example of viewpoint discrimination? We have a right to engage in free and open debate in our society. A democracy without free speech is not a democracy. I, I, I want to just read one sentence from his ruling. And by the way, this is all moot now because the uh, U.S. Uh, District Court or Circuit Court, rather, the Fifth Circuit, has stated, this is what he writes, begin, quote, the evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario during the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty. The United States government assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. The plaintiffs in this case have provided substantial evidence of support of their claims that they were the victims of a far-reaching and widespread censorship campaign by their own government. And sadly, um, this uh, ruling was was, uh, enjoined by the Fifth Circuit. It was just a panel of the Fifth Circuit, but I'm not sure where it goes from here. But that didn't get the attention it deserved. 
No, it didn't, Tom. And look, there's a, there's a story just in the last couple of days, a number of different um, sort of edgy uh, alternative media people, but but people with, um, you know, g- good records on accuracy and so forth, really did a deep dive uh, on this phenomena that we've all noticed of, for example, at Twitter, how many former FBI employees were working at Twitter, including, uh, you know, the, the guy that was the former general counsel at the FBI and then was providing legal advice for Twitter. Well, somebody did an analysis of all the social media giants. Tom, this stinks to high heaven. I Seriously, at Google, 170 former employees at the CIA, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, the National Security Agency, in not just any positions at Google, but in top positions all over Google. Google has um, a a three-man group that is supposed to ensure a truth and fairness in Google searches, all three of them former officials at the CIA. Now, this goes across the board. So you had members of these agencies calling colleagues in these platforms and essentially censoring and guiding and directing the news narrative that the American people got to hear. Now, Tom, you will remember um, that, um, and I don't remember exactly the year, but there was a huge investigation. I think it was part of Senator Church's effort uh, way back when uh, about what the CIA was doing uh, that was kosher and, and what they were doing was not kosher. And one of the things that came out was the CIA had a program called Operation Mockingbird in which they were intentionally molding the narrative that was being put out by major news outlets, you know, the three three major networks, the major newspapers. And of course, the CIA is specifically banned by statute from doing that sort of thing domestically. It became a huge embarrassment to the CIA. It resulted in legislation that cut back on what the CIA and others could do. Looking back on it now, I, I feel a little embarrassed. A lot of conservatives were, oh, no, they have a right. This is for our national security, et cetera, et cetera. Tom, it, there is absolutely no doubt that there is. We, we have, you know, the guys and I referred to the military industrial complex. We've got a, uh, a, a tech uh, a censorship industrial complex. Exactly. No question about it. And the, the other interesting thing is that most of this massive hiring by these tech giants and the setting up of all these different things within the tech giants to make sure that the truth is prevailing, uh, that went on steroids after the 2016 election. And now we've when got Donald Trump. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, when Donald Trump shocked them all by beating Hillary Clinton. And now we've got, I mean, talk about uh, democracy threatening. This 
campaign. What's being done to Donald Trump? Of course, Donald Trump on Monday night revealed through a truth social post that shock of all shocks, he's being investigated and likely will be charged by Jack Smith again. Now he's over uh, January 6th. Trump's now got to defend himself against three federal, uh, three criminal indictments, one in Manhattan, which is a state case. It's a total phony case. Then the classified documents case, which is also phony. And now he's got charges against him in the January 6th matter. And he's probably going to get a, a fourth indictment in Atlanta. Out of, right. right. All the while yeah. the guy's running for reelection. I mean, how do you do this? How do you face four criminal indictments, fight all these prosecutions, fight all this, this, this media smear campaign, fight for your freedom and run for president to defend our freedom at the same time? They know this. The prosecutors know this. They know Nothing like this has ever happened in history before. That is a, 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 an outright open effort to knowingly interfere with and end or crush a presidential campaign. The two times you could argue that it happened were in 2016 <laughs> to Donald Trump and again in 2020 to Donald Trump. I mean, the FBI, the DOJ, they've demonstrated, Gary, that... <clears throat> They'll do whatever it takes to take out Trump, and they'll do whatever it takes to protect their benefactors, Hillary Clinton, the Democrat Party, uh, attacking Donald Trump. They'll do the same thing, but now on a scale that's almost hard to quantify. There have been no changes, I'm sorry, Chris Christie, at the FBI that are of any substance. Chris Ray, the director of the FBI, I think made that as clear as could be the case last week in his testimony. The top level staff at the FBI, the DOJ, they're political hacks, all of them. We've never seen anything like this before. These are Bolshevik tactics, very similar in in scope, if not in scale, to what we saw in the Soviet Union, the head of the uh, KGB or what was called the NKVD at the time, Yvrenta Beria, his famous line to Stalin, you show me the man, I'll find you the crime. That's what's happening here. And we've got nothing like it in the history of the country. And of course, the Democrat establishment, the media, and I'm being redundant because they're one and the same, are thrilled. They couldn't be happier. They are thrilled at these attempts, at this effort to dismantle the underpinnings of our democratic institutions. No question about it, Tom. And look, the you know, I often see articles about how uh, the populist right is coordinating with each other internationally. These populist uh, right wing neo fascist movements uh, are all over Europe. We've got to be very young. We've got to be on our guard. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, the globalists are the one who, by their name, are everywhere. And they and have power. That's the difference between the yes. left and the right. Steve Bannon. Greg, I love him. He doesn't have any power, but the left has all the power. They control not just the governments, but all the institutions that create the culture in society, including, first and foremost, the law enforcement bureaucracies. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I was getting ready to bring up the example of Brazil, which had a populist uh, leader and uh, the Biden administration directly, obviously, uh, you know, no qualms about it, interfered in the Brazilian presidential election. Uh, the, the populist was defeated. A left winger was elected and he immediately allows Iran access to Brazilian ports. He's making sweetheart deals with communist China. But the Biden administration is excited that they got this new left winger in office in Brazil. And what is the Brazilian Supreme Court doing? They just outlawed the defeated populace for running for election again for the next eight years. In other words, they're doing exactly what our globalists are doing. Right. But one and I don't mean if we have Brazilian listeners to offend them. It's a great country. But that doesn't shock me terribly because Brazil, like most countries in the world that are trying to become democratic or shed elements of authoritarian or dictatorial past. That's something you might expect from a country like Brazil, but not the United States of America. Here's my question, and I'm, I'm somewhat loath to ask it because it would almost imply that there is a justifiable case for indicting the president for, I don't even know what the indictment will say, what he did to incite January 6th, a riot at the Capitol where a bunch of people broke windows, he was acquitted by the Senate for incitement of insurrection. He was acquitted, this is as he's a private citizen, in February, it was after he left office, he was acquitted. So um, wouldn't that preclude any attempt to criminalize uh, behavior that the Supreme Court's going to have to... um, Uh, determine anyway again the reason i don't like asking it is because engaging in legal ledger domain over this implies that there's some justification for the charge and there isn't there absolutely isn't but but anyway what are you're the well tom what i mean what all these indictments are aimed at is um taking them out uh, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're aimed at convincing just enough Americans that there, there must be something deeply wrong with him to keep getting indicted over and over again for you know, different types of wrongdoing that undermine, uh, undermines our constitutional republic or to convince conservatives, oh, my gosh, you know, well, we should easily win. We should easily win, but we can't, not with him, you know. Be, and, and why are they so committed to stopping him? Because they're scared to death of him, in my view. They're scared to death that if he gets in again, Katie barred the door. He is going to expose what is happening. He's willing and courageous enough or crazy enough, if you're one of his critics, to do that. Because he's already been through hell. They can't put him through hell again. Now, Tom, what's risked here is uh, January 6th on a much more massive scale. I mean, I, I think it was Vivek the other day who was asked at that, uh, that conference in Iowa about January 6th. And he said, well, look, I, I just want to remind people what... What had happened leading up to January 6th? And, and he said, you know, the, he has said this one thing over and over again. 
if, if you tell people they can't talk, they'll yell. And if you tell them they can't yell, they'll riot. So that's sort of a, you know, a little definition of what, but he goes through the whole thing. He goes, the, the American people watched the riots of the summer of 2020 in which there were no consequences paid, where mayors refused National Guard, where attempts to restore order was struck down by Democrat elected officials. They saw people getting pulled out of their cars and beaten senseless. They saw buildings set on fire. Country, you know, pl- you know, they saw they saw the Republican convention, which took place at the White House on the lawn of the White House, surrounded by a mob. You know, over a hundred Secret Service agents uh, injured, many of them hospitalized. Nothing happened. Nobody was arrested. Nobody was put on trial. They saw all the various things that was done were done month after month after month. And then they saw a very odd election where um, things happened that if you were interested in debunking the idea that the elections were being stolen, you would never allow happen the things that were happening all over the country that would raise suspicion that the election was not really fair. It was all of that seen by one half of the country who were seething with anger about it. And that causes 500,000 of them to come to Washington and peacefully demonstrate on January 6th. And it led about 5,000 or 8,000 of that 500,000 to go to Capitol Hill and, you know, showed their anger there and it led to a couple of thousand of them uh, entering the Capitol building and engaging with the police in some cases in ways that were clearly inappropriate but the idea and, and how this has now been used to get the very people that were complaining about things on January 6th and to track down 70 year old grandmothers to throw the books at them while we continue to wink at the real wrongdoing, the real law breaking that is happening regularly in the United States. Of course, any white person within 400 miles of the Capitol has been targeted and tagged by the FBI as a potential uh, uh, criminal suspect in January 6th, but they can't find in a, uh, what is it, an 8 by 10 room or 10 by 12 room in the White House uh, who the cocaine belonged to. But Tucker said something over the weekend which I thought was was uh, well, not only was it hilarious, it's true. At least our people, when we have a gripe, when we have a grievance, we go to the source. We were upset about January about the election. We thought there were not only irregularities, but outright dramatic rigging of the election in so many ways that we've gone through over and over and over again on this show. <laughs> right. To, 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 but when when we have a grievance, we go to the source. We went to the Capitol. We didn't loot r- liquor stores or or uh, uh, break into Macy's to steal sneakers. We went to the Capitol. You mean Louis Vuitton didn't have anything to do with our deprivation of liberty? I mean, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's the same excuse that was used for the uh, uh, the the rioters in France uh, uh, for the good bit of a of a of a month as uh, Algerians uh, try. Uh, reverse colonization. Uh, 
uh, you know, France once colonized uh, Algeria. Now Algerians are colonizing Paris. That's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a, a police officer gets into uh, a confrontation with a teenager who, by the way, had a significant criminal record. I don't know what a, a fair tribunal will judge about uh, what happened there that ended in the, a dead teenager. But how is that related to rioting in which uh, the, the rioters are pulling the best merchandise possible uh, out of uh, upscale stores, attacking uh, churches, uh, beating up Frenchmen on the street, and the riots uh, spread to, to Belgium and Austria. And, you know, right? Uh, one one hundred. That have to do right. One hundred percent discounts for Democrats and their supporters in France. But back to the. Uh, upcoming third indictment of the president, the former president, the Democrat Party, they get it in a way I don't think that a lot of us do. This next election, we've said this for 30 years, make or break, make or... This one really is. Four more years of this kind of top-down, authoritarian, uh, uh, revolutionary uh, crackdown on any opposition... They, the Democrats recognize <clears throat> this may well be their last chance, and they're pulling out all stops. They always talk about the fundamental transformation of America. They're on the cusp of getting it. They're on the verge of getting it. They play for keeps. What they want, they're well on their way toward achieving, and that is a one-party state that controls elections, that controls the culture, controls academia, controls the media, controls your speech, controls the government with no effective opposition to speak of. And we now have a lot of these so-called Republicans coming out for no labels. Chris Christie, the culture war is not for him. Larry Hogan, we want to come together. We want common ground. I of course, wish all no horse, right. horse poop. All of it horse poop. Right. I wish no other American ill, nor do I seek to find common ground with those who are actively seeking the subversion of the democratic institutions of our country and our culture. I don't want common ground with them. I want to fight them. I want to defeat them. I want to push them back to where they belong, which is on the margins of American society, not at the center of our society. Well said. Usually I'm the one that gives a glowing, uh, uh, incredibly impressive type of uh, closing statement. Uh, that, that, was, that was a good one. Um, Tom, we, we said that the election in two, uh, 2016 was a you know, edge-of-the-cliff election. Uh, the fact that we're saying it now that doesn't mean we're exaggerating. 2016 was an edge-of-the-cliff election. If Hillary Clinton would have won that election— uh, the three Supreme Court vacancies that Donald Trump and Mike Pence filled would have been filled by Hillary Clinton and her party, which would mean that today, Tom, I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we might not be permitted to be on the air because the only institution left in America that is stopping the left's transformation of America is this Supreme Court, which is why they have launched a full-throated attack to try to bring it down, to delegitimize it, to uh, smear and uh, slice and dice 
the specific Supreme Court uh, uh, members. It is why there are still little mini mobs every night outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. The media doesn't even cover it anymore. It's not meant for the media. It is meant to make hell for the lives of those Supreme Court justices and their families that every day and every night have to walk through a mob outside your house, chanting things, harassing your family, having your children harassed, children having to be pulled out of school, all in the hope that one of those Supreme Court justices may say to themselves, you know, I've done this for a while. I can't do it anymore. I want a few years with my wife and myself and my family and my friends. I've paid the price. That's it. Or hoping that in the middle of the night, somebody's cerebral uh, artery uh, bursts under the pressure. Uh, Somebody is so smeared that they, you know, what am I going to do? I I just, you know, my wife's upset, my husband's upset, whatever, because they must take that institution down. It is the last line of of defense. And if they get not only another two years, but then four years on top of that, Tom, they probably will effectively have the Supreme Court back. Of course, they'll have the Supreme Court back. And they've already got a measure of the establishment of our political party, the no labels click or whatever they are that claim that Chris Christie, who's at zero percent in the polls, can somehow defeat uh, Joe Biden. But we're out of time, which... Might be good because I think we might be going down a rabbit hole and we'll be the source and cause of, of mass suicide if we continue. Yeah, absolutely. When you said we're out of time, I thought you were talking about America. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, but it's funny. I know. It's funny. Know. It's funny. Yeah. Have a great couple days. We'll talk to you back here again. Don't forget to like us. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to give us a good rating. Don't forget to listen to us on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. And don't forget Bauer and Rose. We'll talk to you in a couple days. Never give up. <laughs>